0: Welcome to Wild Secrets, brought to you by Wild Talk, Australia's only free counselling service for people working and volunteering with native wildlife. Wild Talk is a registered charity, so all donations are tax deductible. See our website for details. In these episodes, we share ups and downs of working with wildlife, acknowledging while extremely rewarding can bring heartache. There may be tears, laughter, swears and just a smidgen of learning. I'm your host, Francis Carlton. Pauline and Shane are volunteers with Fauna Rescue in South Australia. They're also Talking Batty, the education element of Fauna Rescue. Between them, they have over 10 years' experience of working with wildlife in South Australia. Pauline with possums and birds before moving to bats. Shane has dedicated her entire time to working with flying foxes. Today they're joining me to talk about the experiences and what it's like to work with microbats and flying foxes. Welcome Pauline, welcome Shane. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So you guys are based down in South Australia and you work with flying foxes and sometimes microbats. And I understand today you're also on the hotline. Is that right? Yes, that's right. What's yes. going to happen if the phone rings?
1: I'll jump up and get it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if you shout phone, we know we know what's happening.
2: Yes, that's yes. right. Excellent. Yes. Okay,
0: it's cool. A 24-hour
2: line, so it's um, yep. calling when she's on the, on it takes it to the toilet and the shower and <laughs> everywhere with it, so, so it never gets missed.
0: <laughs> and how how often do you man the phone, Pauline? Um, I start Wednesday morning and finish Friday morning. Wow! So you have a forty eight hour window. Yes. Wow! How many calls do, would you would you average? And does the um, weather make oh, a difference? Uh, the most I would get in a day, I think I've had is about six or
1: seven, uh, but that's not often. Um, and I have. Like uh, yesterday, I only had uh no, today's Wednesday. So yesterday I had two rescues, didn't I? Um, mm-hmm. Today, so far none. Yeah. Last week, uh, last Wednesday I had four.
0: Okay. So, so are you just are you just answering that call those calls for bats or for general that's right, rescue I need
1: bats? Oh no, if it was the uh, fauna rescue hotline, that is nonstop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With all the species. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, and I did training for that, but it was um, really hectic. Uh, you have to be on your toes, uh, and um, I think there's a lot of calls that you get in with um, people who are traumatized just by witnessing an injured animal. Like so members kangaroo.
0: of the members of the they're, public that are traumatized, public could call in, and so
1: they're uh, traumatized already talking to you on the phone, and it's difficult to to stop them Uh, blurting it all out because you're trying to get information specific information so that you can immediately get a rescuer out there or Mm. advise them what to do in the meantime waiting for a rescuer to to Mm. attend and they just hyper you know the the what they fear you can tell what they're feeling Mm. uh, just being there one was the kangaroo that was on the side of the road had a joey with her uh horrible and you have to try and to talk to that person and um, explain it as well as what can you do, what you can't do, and also being safe.
0: Mm.
1: Trying mm. to tell them to be safe because mm. you don't want anything happening to the member of public either. So, but with um, microbats, do um, you want me to start telling you about the microbats? Yeah, you could absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for the microbat calls we do get a lot of them, and uh, mainly because microbats now because of their habitats being destroyed. They live in trees, hollows, and uh, unfortunately because we've chopped all the trees down, especially here in South Australia last year, 75,000 trees were chopped down in one year just in Adelaide uh, and the, and the environs you know, close to mm. the city. So well, when you're true. doing something like that, can you imagine what that's doing then? Microbats, we don't know what the population of microbats are. It's a bit hard to uh, work that out. And we've got um, seven or eight uh, species here, different species here of microbats. And uh, so they all live in a community and if a tree comes down, you have lost a complete community of microbats.
0: And they need to find somewhere else to live. They have
1: to then find somewhere else to live, which is usually in someone's roof. They will go into a garage or I've rescued one out of a caravan. Yeah. Um,
0: I've seen them in. I've seen them in closed umbrellas. Yes, <laughs> in jackets. Uh, yeah. Our coordinator,
1: our, our microbat coordinator, she went to a rescue and they're all lined up. And she's taken a photo, and they're all in a line like a ruler down the side of the jacket. It was one of those um, those oilskin ones, you know, that yeah. the farmers use, and it had a crease in it, and it was. Hanging, they were all hanging <laughs> behind. That's the cutest photo, it really is. But yes, uh, umbrellas. Uh, they'll go anywhere where it's safe, where they're uh, warm, uh, where there's food. And so the calls I get are um, oh, one was in the kitchen. Microbat was just going around yes. in circles in the kitchen. And she runs down to the bedroom and uh, rings me from the bedroom and she goes, oh, you know, I've got to cook dinner but I'm too scared to go in there because this little microbat is the size of a 50-cent piece. You know, it's, it's amazing. The smaller the insect, the more fearful people are.
0: <laughs> yeah people people are people are odd i mean they i mean they do make the world go round but they are they can be very they can be very odd and then oh, there's people no. you know then there's people like you like you and i that you know kind of go oh i don't get what it is bring it no, on
1: no, <laughs> no, no. so i I, what I told her was that she had to turn the outside light on open the sliding door i said have you got a sliding door for your kitchen yeah yeah have you got a lamp outside or a light yeah yeah and uh, so she goes and does that and she oh, my God, it flew out. <laughs> She's like, she was, I, could, I could hear her jumping with joy. Yeah. Because, oh, my God, it just went out. Then I gave her a little bit of education, which I can't help,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, told her how important they were, how lucky she was to have microbats in her area because she won't have uh, the mosquitoes bothering her. I would love
0: to have microbats at the moment. Oh. <laughs> I would love to yes. have them. I've never seen them where I live and I've got so many trees. Oh, yeah. I don't know why they don't like this area. Um, yeah. I would
1: love to have microbats here. I'm always looking up at the lamp posts because you can see microbats um, flying around the lights, yes. uh, street lights. Yeah. Now, a lot of people think they're moths until I tell them that, okay, well, you know, um, just observe them because microbats are faster than moths. Yeah. They dart, whereas moths are a little bit slower. Mm. Uh, and they go, oh, my God, yes, and they're out there watching. And
0: mm. so, uh, Well, they would heart also probably get a good feed ha- flying around streetlights too because, because, of, because yeah, of all the insects, the insects attracted. Yeah, that's right to the light. So, yeah. But
1: they are. They're gorgeous. They, they're very, um, <laughs> uh, being small, they are feisty. They can be very feisty. And uh, one other I looked after, I was too slow feeding it, too slow, you know, taking the head off and uh, I do Taking the
2: head off? Yeah. Explain. The worm, mealworm, The mealworms that they eat, yes. Yeah, the <laughs>
1: mealworms. So I do one at a time because I don't want to uh, kill a real mealworm and then they don't eat them, so I do one at a time. And I was too slow with the, because uh, I do it with a, um, what do you call it, tweezers. Yes. They use tweezers and I was so slow that he started growling at me and he bared his teeth at me and he was going at me like, you know, and I've got him in my hand between my fingers holding him and he's just really cranky.
0: And why was this particular microbat in care? What, 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 what mischief had he got up to uh, to find that himself? One, that one was,
1: uh, a num- there were eight of them actually. Um, they were in a light pole that must have, up in the hills, in the Adelaide Hills, the light pole must have had something in there that uh, must have been a transformer or something and the power company had come to change the pole and there was eight of them in there
0: oh right. so they the weren't world, injured they were just they weren't injured they
1: were displaced and right. so they just came into care for a few days uh, until uh they finished the work in that area because they had to go back and relocate in yes. the same area
0: why and, is it why is it so vital for flying foxes and bats and microbats to be relocated in in exactly the same area in which they were found. Because I know that most species like, you know, snakes and, Mm-hmm. lizards and um, possums. Possums also need to be, yeah, I know, yeah. in the same sex, area. Yeah. But like, many of them, many like kangaroos, within five kilometres of their yeah. home territory. Why yeah. are microbats so specific in, into the area in that, that area. they were found in?
1: microbats don't travel that fast. So They're kangaroos, five kilometres. A kangaroo can do five kilometres in maybe an hour, you know. Mm. So, But microbats, uh, they live in a community. So they, uh, all the females are pregnant and bring up their young all together and so they all stay together. And it's protection, I think, as well. So protection in numbers, mm. also protection that they're being fed and cared for and looked after as well. Mm. They're a very, um, I think, very sensitive um, uh, animal. They're sensitive to each other's needs. They need each other. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a big family. Mm. And that's the way I interpret it, only by, yeah, it's not what I've been taught or anything, but it's mm. just what I've observed mm. and caring for them. Yeah. They don't yeah. like being alone. Mm.
0: So yeah. To, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, they 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 live it. They live in in colony groups, don't yes. they? So yes. th- th- that's clearly, right. that that sort of, as you say, safety in numbers, and that's right. And that yeah. very 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 tight family tr- family ties. That's right. The mm. uh, last rescue I did with uh, microbats, I, I assisted with our
1: coordinator, microbat coordinator. There was uh, over eighty in uh, the roof cavity. Um, the guy was on a farm up in our hills, Adelaide Hills and he was knocking the building down to rebuild something else there and uh when he took the uh, iron sheeting off underneath the um the bats you know the um uh, what do you Eaves? call it the yellow bats you know the pink bats insulation, uh, insulation bats. all
0: the insulation sorry.
1: Yeah, the same bats all, in the all the english bat
0: language bats, the bats you know <laughs> the they bats it gives about another
1: name cuz oh, I mean, that's terrible calling them Mm. bats mm. uh bats are cute
0: insulation
1: yeah. bats aren't. <laughs> so anyway he when he lifted up the insulation back uh, there was all these microbats under there and uh wow. yeah they found it re- and unfortunately most of them were pregnant and some had babies so it was pretty much all female there weren't too many males in that lot yeah. So we, uh, Katrina got the call. She called me to help her because she's got to climb up on a ladder so it's a two-person job. I held the, um, the pillowcase and she would hand them down and we're filling the pillowcase and then another pillowcase. <laughs> and, and it just went on and on and she just moved all the way down the length of this uh, building and they were under all the little partitions where the uh, insulation backs were. Right, Some wow. Some flew off. Because they weren't happy that they could see what was happening, It's like, oh, someone's coming.
0: Humans but this was flying. day that daytime, which they generally you generally don't yes, see them flying it was around in during the, the day. morning. It was uh, just before lunch.
1: Right. So what uh, Katrina did, she didn't live that far away from there, a few kilometers. She took them home, and then took them back that evening and hung them off the trees because the guy wanted them back.
0: Yeah. Oh there wow. There. Okay.
1: And uh, and he had a lot of trees on his property. And uh, so she took them back there, and they came out of the pillowcases, and that was it. Off
0: Fantastic! They it so was, they so they had a little bit of a sojourn off to off to off to suburbia for for a yeah. little while, and then came came home yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, nice. Right.
1: So so microbats,
0: the so my, my, microbats generally are sort of a fifty cent piece, a little a little bit bigger than a fifty cent piece. They're yeah. tiny little things. Yeah. Whereas when we when you're working with flying foxes. Much larger animals. Yeah. No, much. Yeah. That's yeah. right. The only and what's that? thing that is similar between microbats
2: and flying foxes is that they fly. It's pretty yeah. much nothing else that you that yeah.
0: relate to one to the
2: other.
0: Yeah. Right. Wow. Because
2: they wow. diet
0: Um
1: is so totally what, So
0: what so what was it? So so Pauline, just tell me what, what was it about flying foxes that uh. drew you to them first? And then Shane, oh. I'll ask you. Yeah. yeah
1: well I was doing possums and birds. Yeah and they are oh, the possums are gorgeous but you know what possums are uh, the type of animal who they're a bit like cats you know how cats believe they're so important well possums have that uh, <laughs> they have that attitude as well that they're very important. Um and but I enjoyed doing them and uh, I did them for about a year and uh then I got the opportunity of helping out with um, the flying foxes just going and helping feed and helping uh, clean ovaries and things and just looked at the first one that I looked at, just that first one, the eyes. As soon as I looked at it, I went, oh, my God, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got And so I tried to do both, like possums, birds and the bats together. It didn't work. I just needed to focus Just on the
0: bats. Okay, cool. And Shane, what's 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 your what's your pull towards the flying fox? Well, look, I've always loved
2: animals, all sorts of animals, and um, I was looking at a page one day with all these little baby bats wrapped up in their their little wraps and their faces. They were just oh, it's just amazing. I was so drawn, and I oh yes, I want to do that. And so I contacted Fauna Rescue. And they gave me the number of the coordinator, and from there on, that was it. And I was still working full time at mm. the time, so I did all of my training and um, and it was. Um, I was just doing rescues and heat stress events and things at that time. But then, when I retired, I was able to look after the babies. So, mm. as well as you know, doing rescuing and things like that, I do. Um, Pauline and I, we both do, we care for the babies as well. Mm. And they are, as, yeah, as Pauline mm. says, when you look into their eyes, there is no going back. They are just the most incredible animals. They really are. Mm. Very misunderstood by most mm. people too. Mm. So, uh, oh, yes, it's it's for life. You know,
0: <laughs> and you both and you both had to get vaccinations, or did you have natural immunity to the no, we virus? We have to be
2: rabies vaccinated, even yep. though we don't have rabies in Australia. Obviously, they can carry um, Australian bat lyssavirus. However, only less than one percent of our bat, popu- our bat population have lyssavirus. And it's only transmissible by saliva, so you actually have to be bitten by a of virus positive bat to to get the the, um, the virus. Yeah. So um, that's you know one of the myths that people have as well. They think you know it's in their wee or their poo or blood or anything else. You can't unless if you don't have the one, you have no problem. And mm. we're all we're all vaccinated. And there's even a post-vaccine available too. So that if somebody wasn't vaccinated and they got a bite, they could go and get a post-vaccine mm. for mm. rabies as well. But mm. we have our, our levels checked every two years to make sure that we've still got a high enough level of immunity. And that's mm. just that's the organization, that's their rule. So if you're mm. if your immunity is getting a little bit low. They'll say go and have a booster as well to bring it and up. And what's
0: classed game. what's classed as a safe level of immunity in order for you to be
2: it's somebody above, who's
0: handling it's
2: above point oh five. Yeah, point, oh, point 0.5. Point five. Point five. Or, yes, it's oh five. Yeah, I think okay. it is. Yeah, so any, well anything above, yes, anything above that, yeah. um,
0: mm.
2: you're okay to to have it. And of course, if you do. If you do get bitten by one, a bad bite, you know they'll often say, you know, you maybe go and have a booster, even though you know rabies vaccine is extremely effective. Um, mm. And there are uh, there are three, aren't there? Mm. Initial the three initial get rabies shots to have done. So when you join, you have you have your three shots, and then you wait um, a month, and then you have a blood test, and if your immunity is high enough, then you're good to go.
0: Mm. I'm quite lucky. I I have had so I'm not a member of any organizations at the moment um because of Wild Talk being independent of organizations. Yes. But when I was when I was 14 years of age I worked in a quarantine kennels in the UK and oh, one of the okay. things I had to do was have a rabies yes just in case. Yes. And so I had my rabies jab, and I sort of didn't think anything. It worked in the quarantine kennels for I think I worked there about six months. Just got I was fourteen. I got didn't have the attention span of anything, and um, then I then I travelled overseas and I had to have a rabies jab for something, and it was you know just done. And then in two thousand and ten I went to Africa and I had to have a rabies jab going to Africa, and so a number of times I've had to have one. Yes. So when I offered to help with flight, they were like, we got to check here, got to check your levels. So point one zero. He's just (laughs) sitting in my, just sitting there waiting. So my local organisation is like, we'll call you if we ever need you. (laughs) And I actually, when we had recent hailstorms, I actually rang them and said, look, I know that I'm, I know, but I, if you need me to do any transporting, you need me to go to Commonwealth Park, yes. which is where our uh, colony of flying foxes lives. If you need me to go and help and sort of do some clear up, I'm happy to help, and like and I can. And they were like, yes, 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 but we did. They didn't need me, so. Oh, but,
2: I think they lost a lot, didn't they, in that hailstorm? A lot of a lot of damage and a lot. The of one, injuries. the one
0: that we've just, the one we've just had, like a few weeks at the beginning of January. Yes. Um, no, none, because it was the hail didn't come didn't get that low as to where awesome. that in the 2020 hailstorm that we had just after all the fires um yes there was there was about 350 injured yes. um injured flying foxes from that that but that that was big hail that was like golf ball hail yes. oh, um yeah. and yeah they did they did and of course there was the there there was the heat stress event that that happened in in 2019 um which was not as severe as as severe as the one that you experienced so mm. which brings me perfectly to get you to tell me about what happened on the 20th of November 2019 20th of November
2: 2019 we had uh, the day i think it ended up getting up to about 46 mm-hmm. um during the day now, with heat stress events, we always say anything above 42 is when they really start to struggle, but that's highly dependent on how long that temperature is during the day. If it only if it's only 42 for an hour and drops down, it's not too bad. This was quite early in the morning it started and we had 46. Now, the problem with, um, with this particular event, because it was in November, so very early in a season for us to have that amount of heat when we have a lot of babies. So the adults cope a lot better in heat stress events than babies and mothers with babies. Mm. Because at that stage, the mums have still got their babies on board with them. They're very young. And mm. uh, I mean, sometimes the birthing can, can start, you know, as early as um, september but it's normally around about october november so when you've got a 46 degree day and you've got new babies there or babies a few days old or a week old or whatever Mm. they're dependent on their mum so that heat stress event um was very different as well because the babies were very young we did lose a lot of adults in that one because the mums have a baby on board And if the babies are older, they can separate, they can hang the babies on the tree next to them and they can wing fan them Mm. and they can cool them down. But when their babies are dependent, it means the babies are getting hot and the mums are hot as well because they've got that extra with the baby plus the fact that they're feeding. So, you know, when you're feeding a baby, you've got that extra toll on your body as well. Mm. So um, it it was a pretty horrific day. We stayed out there. I can remember going out there. We were sitting there all day. Now we set up. Uh, we have um, like a gazebo, and we have tables. We have a triage area. We have misting fans and tents so that we fill them with water, and we can put them in cages and get the the misting fans going. However, on this day, there was, because the babies were so little, they almost cooked from the inside out. So by the time we got to them, they'd already dropped and died. Mm. So we spent a great majority of that day just picking up bodies of um, a lot of babies and adults. And, um, and I can remember being out there and it was, oh, I can't remember what time I ended up going home, 10 o'clock. And I was going back to my car after such a a horrific day and on a car parked next to mine on the road spotted was a tiny little flying fox hanging to a car tyre. So he dropped and scrabbled along the road, a hot road, and he climbed on a car tyre because obviously the tyre wasn't as hot as the tarmac on the road. Of course, yeah. And I spotted him and i I took him home, and um, that he survived. That's my little boy Aaron, a beautiful blondie. Yeah. And I took him home, and he's um, yeah, he's now released out there in the colony. So we did we did save quite a few, but the timing of that, it was way too early in the year to have a, you know a forty plus degree day when we had so many babies. Yeah. Uh, so the no, way,
0: so the way that flying foxes foxes carry their young after yes. they've birthed, yes. they have a. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here. They have like the nipple is like in their in equivalent their arm- of their armpit. Yes. So the so the baby is suckling at the at the teat. Yes. And then also sort of like enfolding the the body of the mother yes. with its wings to hold yes. on. Mm. that's right, right. so yes. on a 46 right. degree day you're basically wrapped in a blanket
2: <laughs> you <laughs> with are, your baby and, yeah. yeah you are and of wow. uh, course they'll go from one nipple to the other you know being in both wing pits of and uh, you know they've, they've really got no way of calling themselves the babies the mums will wing fan but you know when when her body's sitting out there in those temperatures and the baby yeah. is so tiny that he it, it's just it's absolutely devastating. Yeah. Okay. So um, so that was so a terrific really had... day, but we little did we know
0: worse was to come for that yeah, year. Yeah, so what so how how much later was it when you had 4 days of heat stress?
2: It was uh, it was before just Christmas. before Christmas in um, in late December and we had 4 days in a row of around about 43 44 degrees and the problem with that also is we didn't it didn't cool down in the evening so they got no real reprieve from the heat if it cools down in the evening at least they can you know have a little bit of a rest and and recover some of their energy but the evenings weren't getting anywhere even close to being 30 they were still well above 30 so they had 4 days and 4 nights of intense heat and we we lost uh, we saved 400 um, babies. We lost around 10,000 babies in that year. So we were out there for the four days. We had we had a triage set up there. We have people um, walking around the colony doing checks. We have we have a lot of people who do different things. you know they can't all be carers, they can't all be rescuers. Mm. We have people out there caring for carers, so they bring us drinks because we get out there, we'll sit out there in that temperature and don't even realise that we haven't had a drink, you know, Mm. because you're so focused on the animal. So we have people directing public away from the past because our colony is in Botanic Park, so it's a very public place. Mm. So we have people directing public away. We have people spotting. We have people spraying with big water sprayers on their back to spray them when they come down low, mm. um, all sorts of things. And then we we set up um, a place in our headquarters as well and people they were just putting these animals in cages and spraying them and bringing them to headquarters where it's air conditioned and we were just sitting there. We were hydrating them either orally or giving them subcut fluids Uh, trying to save their lives. And we were getting them coming in baskets just wrapped in wet tea towels and they come in and we're searching to see which ones are still alive. Mm. And you you get to a point, I got to a point in that day where I was sitting there getting them in and giving them all subcut fluids and putting them. We had cages for critical. We had cages for ones that had we thought probably had no hope. We had ones that weren't as bad off, you know, and Mm. got to a point one day where I just looked into the eyes of one and he was looking back at me and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to save you and I burst out crying and then everybody else came up to me and we had this big group hug. It started everybody off crying. I said, oh, that's Mm -hmm. typical of me. I'll start everybody Mm -hmm. off, you know, Mm -hmm. and we just had this big cry and then we just got on with it again and then you just continue on with it and they were just look, they were just dying all around us. We just we the ones we could get to in time, by the time they dropped from the tree, they're in a pretty bad condition. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've struggled for a lot of hours and a lot of days. Uh, four days at that temperature was awful. And then we were going we were going for days afterwards to the colony with wheelbarrows and the, the guys at botanics and that picking up just bodies because obviously flying foxes hang on um, as you probably know they don't have mm. to use any energy to hang they have a little um, ratchet like mechanism in their feet so that yeah. they, they have no energy to use
0: so, no the, en- to so the energy off. in that is actually in the in the releasing yeah. in the releasing yeah. that's right
2: so they Rather can die than and they can be days and weeks and even months they can still be hanging and suddenly you'll get a strong wind day and you'll find they'll just blow down and they'll blow down so we were going around for you know for many many weeks and you know months afterwards collecting bodies of those that had died up there so look it's something that is um i would say i would honestly say the worst four days of my life that was and i i got back Um, sorry, it's still very hard to talk about. Yeah. But, you know, I thought I got back and I remember one night getting home and I had a shower and I put my pyjamas on and I looked at our Facebook page, which is, you know, what keeps all of us connected. It's not a public page. It's for all of us carers. Yeah. And they were saying they'd flown into the Torrens and they were fishing them out of the Torrens because on hot days they belly dipped. Yeah. The Torrens, it's quite a spectacular sight to see. So yeah. um, they belly dip in the Torrens, a lot of them had fallen in and I said to my husband, oh, bugger it. I said, I can't sit here in my pajamas. So I got dressed again. I don't know what time it was at night, mm. eight, nine, ten at night. I went back out again and I just remember when I got home that night, I had a shower and I collapsed into bed and, I, and every time I closed my eyes I could see wings opening up in front of me. I had this vision of I just couldn't get this vision out of my mind. I could see all the horror that I'd seen in those four days and I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And i mm. there are still parts of that colony, the trees I look at and I remember the devastation that we saw and I have a hard time going to that area and in our headquarters we had a particular room where we had cage after cage after cage. Of flying foxes and we'd go in every morning and every night and we'd be there checking them and you'd go in every morning and see how many more had not survived the night. And so that particular room, I still have a hard time walking through that room because I know how much suffering um, mm. we saw in there and it's, it is intense. It really is. And and when you love animals as much as we do, I mean we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love them. No. When you love them as much as as we do, to see such suffering is something that I'll probably never forget that. No. You know, I'll I'll get better at dealing with it. I mean I don't think about it every day now, but like like what happens now when I start talking about it, it all comes back to me. And mm. um, you know, so I think you know, we see horrific Um, rescues as well, you know, electrocutions and barbed wire and fruit netting and all sorts of horrific things. But the heat stress event is where you see in numbers. The difference with that is you're seeing masses of them. You go Hmm. to an electrocution where they've got body parts blown off and and convulsing and things like that. It's horrific. But in the heat stress event you see, you know, we're talking thousands over a few days we saw about 10,000 the suffering we saw is is indescribable
0: mm. Mm. So Pauline, just um, so th- thank you so much for opening up around that Shane but Pauline, I wonder if you can tell us about um, electrocutions because they're, they're, they're quite common on on lines. why 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 is that and what's and what's you know what happens there? Okay, so here in Adelaide we do have uh, streetscapes
1: where there's a lot of uh, blossom trees and we find that they seem to be flying out in different areas, northeast, southwest. and because the suburbs are all flowering at different times. And uh, so we'll, right now I can tell you being on the hotline, we're going to start getting calls now for the west because this is the time of the year it'll be in the west. They've been at the east, up in the hills, So that's now over, but we will be very soon getting calls for the west. And what happens is that uh, unfortunately the trees have grown in amongst the power lines. Also our power line um, uh, system isn't the same as the eastern states. What happens here is that uh, 80%, roughly 80% of our bats actually survive the electrocution. Where over there in eastern states about 80% actually die. Mm. So uh, we have to attend to them very quickly because they're suffering. Mm. And uh, like Shane's already said, body parts come off. We've uh, found a wing that was like metres away from where the body We've was. We've had
2: ones with half and a face blown off, one wing and they're and they're missing alive. and no feet. And been they're still alive. And they're still alive. It's, it's horrific.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to, uh, being on the hotline, the first thing I do obviously is get the carer to get straight there ring SA Power Networks to get uh, um, a team there. Sometimes the power goes out and so the uh, member of public has probably already rung the power networks to uh, attend. Not always does the power go out. Mm. And um, so then uh, the carer, the rescuer has to be there and unfortunately then you have to, they have to be euthanized. Mm-hmm. So I think the problem is that they're not trimming the trees. Uh, well enough, and they're also planting the wrong trees in the wrong places. That's what they did. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that because what they have to do is just eliminate all the trees in all the streets in Adelaide and then start all over again. Well, that's not possible. No. Uh, that's no. not practical. Uh, so uh, we just have to live with that. But uh, what we do is we've got Linda Collins, our um, uh Consultant. Consultant. I knew it started with a C. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, said counsellor. So she many words accurate. to start she's with a, a C. counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> she's great. We can just ring her up every time something gets you know, yeah. so, Um. But anyway, so what she, she's got a great relationship with SA Power Networks. She has been collecting data for years uh, about electrocutions in particular. Yeah. And what she does is she's got this map sorted out she knows exactly where all the electrocutions have occurred and if more than uh, three or more in the one area not suburb area but the street which we've had one house isn't it yes three electrocution wasn't it yes three yes in at one house so she um, has all that data She, she is in communication with SA Power Networks meetings uh, to get them to come, and then they do a separator or something. I'm not sure what yeah, it's called. Some an isolator, something like that. Yes, yeah, so, an isolator separator. Something yeah. they do when there's three or more.
0: Oh, so what a wonderful example of wildlife workers working with the people Operation. with the with the <laughs> you know with the providers, like with the yeah. people who actually have the the power to make a difference yes. and yeah. actually, you know. Make a difference for these animals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's not them... just flying
1: foxes that get electrocuted. Postons. Oh,
0: yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, just, just you know, how wonderful. Because you know, I think when we, you know, when we hear stories about people who work with wildlife, we we generally hear about, you know, we hear about those. Occasionally, we hear about those wonderful members of the public that. You know, help and call, and you know, want to be there and want them back, like you, like your your farmer with it with his with his back, colony. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. M- too often we hear about members of the public not giving a damn, and oh. and oh. organisations yes. and companies not giving a damn, which we yeah. know also happens. Yes. Um, yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> but
0: isn't it wonderful that when we do have somebody or an organisation that cares, how much difference it makes? Yeah.
2: Well, it does, and, you know, the important thing about that also is that this is why it's critical for us to collect all that data of every time we go and do um, an electrocution rescue, we send that data off, we send the street address, the number of the house, we send the suburb, all of that photos, all of that, so that we can keep a running total of if this is a repeat offender address. Yeah you know, so that's um so that's what they you know they try to help yeah. us to do things and it's like it's really important not only that too but also in baby season we can lose mm. mothers they can be electrocuted but the babies actually survive
0: yeah some, how so, does that i yeah. I've, I've heard i've heard that how does that how does that work like what why does that happen do, you, do, well, do do you know
2: well the mothers I don't exactly know why it doesn't affect, it can affect the babies internally. Um, I've I've had an electrocution, um, a baby from an electrocuted mother who didn't thrive for quite a long time and it can affect their internal digestive system a little bit, but not enough that they've died so mm. mainly the the babies if you get to them they still survive so you know we always stress the important thing about electrocutions not only do we need that information so that we can save them from that particular address in future but we need that we need people to go out because in baby season that mum could have a baby on board she's she's hanging up there dead but she's got a little live baby up there
0: and so it's almost uh, as if the mother insulates the baby from the current yes, yeah yes. yeah uh,
2: i think a lot of the a question a lot of people ask about well how come bats get electrocuted and birds don't well it's a totally different thing because birds fly they fly straight down they'll land on the line sit on the line and then take off bats fly yeah. they'll they'll rest on the line upside down they have a massive wingspan a
0: lot of them yeah
2: and when they take off, they have to flip themselves up, and as they're opening their wings to take off, while yeah, they're it. still earthed on, while their feet are still earthed on one wire, their wingtips are touching another wire, right. and and that's it. So you know, very disadvantaged in that way. As birds can just land and take off and, and settle on it
0: without mm. having any other, mm. Um, mm. you know, touching two lines at once. Mm. So you you you. In, in, in our little brief chat that we had prior to recording, you you mentioned that after heat stress events, you have been offered support for your mental health. How, how did that work for you? Well,
2: it was I don't know at the time it was, I don't know at the time how structured it was or how it was going to be. We were just told that you know if any of you need uh, any counseling after this, you know let us know. And we all said, "Oh yeah, okay," but you know what it's like. It's yeah, we you just get on with them. You get on, and we yeah. think, "Oh God, if we have to have counselling every time we go to see an electrocution, or you'll take one off a barbed wire." We see horrific things all the time, you know. And um, so, to my knowledge, I don't think anyone to my mm. They may have done, but to my knowledge, mm. I don't think I certainly didn't take it up because I thought I'm going to have to keep going through this anyway, you know. But I do know that you know three years gone by and, as you see, it still affects me terribly when I I talk about it or think um, about it. So, mm. yeah, and um, I think we're different as as wildlife carers or as animal carers as opposed to humans who have counselling after seeing a bad event. A lot of people don't understand our love of animals and the trauma it is to see an animal, mm. um, you know, I personally get more traumatised seeing an animal in pain than I do anything mm. else. So um, if you don't understand that aspect of it, how how much it uh, affects you, you know, mm. people think, oh, you know, it's just an animal. Mm. To us it's very difficult, so just an animal. It, it,
0: so if you were going to see a counselling professional, you would want them to be able to understand your experience without having to explain it?
2: I would, oh, uh, yeah. I
0: Absolutely.
2: think we would want somebody who specializes in animal related trauma, not human related mm. trauma or seeing animal related trauma because I don't mm. think I don't think you can compare the two. No. Why do you think they're so different? Well, for <laughs> for me it's different because <laughs> I have a very different aspect of what causes me trauma. I have a lot more it's a lot more trauma for me to see an animal suffering than it is to see a human suffering. Okay,
0: and why why do you think that is, Shane? What what is it? What's the difference? Uh, I've never really liked people that much, to be quite honest. And I love animals. <laughs> I, love animals. I love
2: animals. I just, it, I, you know, and I'm I'm being truthful here. And everybody yeah. who knows me knows, you know, knows what I'm like. So it's mm. it's no surprise no, to anyone. No no knows secret. me. It's no secret. Yeah. I've never really thought the human race is, <laughs> is much good at all. I, you know, I don't I don't think we have a great purpose on this planet and I, I think that we pretty much destroy everything that's put in our path, all kinds of nature, animals, everything. Environment, we, yeah. Humans are good at destroying. Animals just want to be. They just want to live their life. They, they don't want to exploit. They don't want to harm. They just want to live their life. Mm. And I've always had a, a massive compassion. I, I find it very hard to see animals suffering. I, I always say when I see an animal suffering, I feel like it's that is being done to me. I can feel their pain as if it's my own pain. Mm.
0: Um,
2: I don't have that with humans.
0: Mm. And Pauline, you 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 very heartily agreed with the idea that a, a mental health professional would yes. understand. Where yeah. your pain was coming from? Why? Why? Why was it such an emphatic
1: yes? yes. Well, because I see the animal's vulnerability. Um, they are dependent on us. When they are injured, there's nothing they can do. They they can't go off to their first aid box and fix themselves up like a human can. So mine comes from uh, Shanes is obviously a, a long life. Um, her her distrust or or. Uh, you know, dislike to the humans, (laughs) mine has only been more recent because of where the world's going. So as an adult, not as a child. As a child, Mm. I was a bit naive, but I still brought home sick, injured animals. I still had to have animals around me as a child. I thought animals were, you know, we had uh, all types of animals because we lived on a bit of land in Western Australia, so I was lucky that way with my childhood. And as an adult... I've stopped on the side of the road when a dog has been hit, you know, in the days that dogs were running loose. Um, And uh, I would stop and put the dog in the back seat of the car and take it to the vet, all that sort of stuff. So I see them as being vulnerable. I also see that we are causing a lot of this on the animals because if we weren't here, he wouldn't have been hit by a car. Mm
0: -hmm. The
1: flying foxes wouldn't be getting electric on power lines. Mm -hmm. Um, Microbats won't be getting caught on sticky flypaper. Uh, Mm. So it's because of us Mm. that they have been put in a fragile and vulnerable situation where Mm. they are suffering. Mm. And I think that's what gets me. It's like seeing a baby. It will be the same as a human baby, you know, that's only just born and and it's dependent on the doctors, the nurses, the mother, the ventilator, whatever it is that needs to keep that baby alive if it's ill. It's exactly the same Mm. thing. You feel the responsibility. And that's Mm. how I feel. I feel responsible. And that's why I love being on the hotline. Because Mm. I want to be able to do something for those vulnerable and fragile injured animals. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. Yeah, pretty strong. (laughs) We have strong beliefs. No, I (laughs) I mean I
0: think it's I mean, I think it's absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And and you know, the the one thing that I that I enjoy most about working with wildlife carers is the immense passion <laughs> that, that, that people have for the work that they do, regardless of what species it is that they're looking after. Mm. You know, when I was working in employee assistance programs, I never saw that. Yes. People mm. never came in and went, I love my job so <laughs> yeah. much. Yeah. But I'm so sad that this has happened. Yes. It was always like I've I bon- hate my job but <laughs> this has happened. Yeah. It was never but with wildlife carers, it's like this this horrible, terrible, horrible, horrible, horrible thing has happened, but mm. I love what I do and I want to continue doing it. Mm. You can't well, say, so will you help, you help
2: me? <laughs> the more you see, the more it, it pushes you forward to do, because if you said, you know, you sometimes you think, oh, can I keep doing this? And then you step back and it takes you in a, a millisecond and you think, of course I can do it because how selfish would it be if I step back and put the animals in jeopardy when I know I'm capable of helping them? So yeah. we, you know, we say, we always say this, it's not about us, it's about yeah. them. Mm. So no matter what we have to go through to help them and no matter how much we suffer, we mm. will do it if we can help them.
0: Mm. So I would like yeah. to just say you don't need to suffer. We can I, help you. I so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You yeah. don't need to suffer as much as you possibly have in the past. Mm. Uh, we are here to help you and, and we would like to be able to help you. Well, thank you. There, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, I would like to thank you both so much for your time. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. It would be wonderful to be able to do a follow-up at some point in the future. I'd mm. love, um, love to. Oh, we love
1: talking. Oh, and,
0: and. <laughs> As you can tell. Yeah, some sometimes sometimes we do these and it's, it's 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 a long half hour. We've been talking for 45 minutes and it's oh, been have an we? absolute pleasure. Oh, we yeah. Are, we always it has time because we never set it up. <laughs> it's great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much ladies. I've absolutely oh. absolutely, you know, this has been wonderful. Thank you for oh, your time. Thanks, Thank you very
2: much for having us yeah. and letting us talk about these amazing animals.
0: Thank yes. You. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you. Thank oh, you. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to my guests, Pauline and Shane. This has been an episode of Wild Secrets, brought to you by wildtalk.org.au, a mental health support service providing training, counselling and debriefing to wildlife carers and volunteers across Australia. I've been your host, Francis Carlton. Thank you for listening.